What is up, you guys? It is Tuesday, and you know what that means. This is another episode of Big Stick Energy coming at you live, and holy guacamole, today is a banger. Um, I feel like we say that all the time, but the reason I am in love with today's episode is because we get to talk about the best pair of biking pants that has ever been made for female-identifying folk in the outdoors, and we all know how difficult it is to find not only functional gear, but that's also cute, makes you look snatched, and has freaking pockets. Pockets are the most valuable asset on biking pants because one, I need an inhaler. Two, I need snacks. Three, sometimes I need, you know, my music, a piece of gum. I don't know. I'm freaking autistic and I need to regulate out there. But having pockets is crucial and having enough pockets is a whole other ball house. Um, So who are we talking about this today with? It is Cassie Abel. She is the founder and CEO of Wild Rye. They are a disruptive outdoor apparel company that is creating functional, cute, and stylish outerwear for women identifying folk. Um, Their stuff is unreal. They use high quality materials. They've just been labeled a B Corp organization. And Cassie is a a freaking weapon. Like she has conquered so much in the last couple of years, taking her business from zero to hero through the pandemic and also while being a new mom. So today's episode is talking about how Wild Rye is bringing inclusivity to the outdoors. Cassie's journey as a mother pushing in to create a million dollar business in an industry that has actively tried to exclude I wouldn't say actively tried to, but you know, inclusivity has not been a thing and having diversified functional gear for a wider range of people has not always been a thing. So she's disruptive in that sense. And yeah, it was an awesome conversation to have with her. She also gives some really good tips for being someone who is uh, women identifying in a male dominated sport and what she has done to become a leader today. Oh, sorry. I think those are my mom's dogs fighting, but hey, that's real life for you. Anyways, um, thanks for tuning in today. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review and yeah, have a great one, you guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. We're going to do some ads before we dip into it, but we will see you next week. Thank you to Onyx for sponsoring today's show. Onyx is a GPS app. You can use it in the summer. You can use it in the winter. Lots of people use it for skiing through winter, but I had the chance to use it this summer. It shows you everything from campsites to hiking trails to forestry roads. I'm not sure if those are called something different in the States, but what worked really well for me when I was using it last week, being down in the USA, I didn't have any data on because I didn't want to be charged roaming. So I downloaded some of the areas that I was going to be in in an offline map. And then I was able to look at that area without having any data and still have access to any information about that hike, the weather, etc. As well as just being able to see where I was at along that trail the entire time. So Onyx, you can download their app in the App Store super helpful app for planning your trip and for keeping yourself on track while you're out there. Darn Tough Vermont. They make merino wool socks. These socks are lightweight. They wick better than cotton and they really have socks for every activity. They've got your winter skiing, snowboarding socks as well as your summer activity socks. So lately I have been wearing the no-show merino sock for both trail running and 
a little bit hiking as well. Sometimes with hiking, I prefer the mid height just because you're going through kind of like the brush sock, but Darn Tough has both. I've tried both. They're really awesome. They have kept my feet dry, wicking away the moisture on some really hot days lately. So Darn Tough Vermont, go check out their website. They call them Darn Tough because they are tough. Go and grab yourself a pair and keep your feet happy and blister free and dry. So Cassie, do you want to give like a, a brief introduction? Just kind of tell everybody who you are, a bit of a background story so they know, yeah, I don't know what to yeah. expect today. Absolutely. Um, I'm Cassie Abel. I'm the founder and CEO of Wild Rye. Um, for those of you that don't know what Wild Rye is, Wild Rye is a women's um, outdoor apparel brand that focuses on mountain biking, snow sports, um, and really just providing a more welcoming access point for all women identifying adventurers in the outdoors. Um, so how did Wild Rye start? What's like the the story there? And like, what did you do before that led up to it? Um, yeah, uh, man, it was a it was a journey. I was in house at a number of actually not a number. I was in house at one outdoor brand, who a brand that I still love and admire so much, um, Smith Optics. And during my time at Smith, I had the opportunity to, to attend every outdoor action sports industry event out there and um, just felt a serious lack of women in the industry, um, particularly at the Interbike trade show. So the bike market tr trade show, um, there were more scantily clad booth girls than there were women actually working in the industry. At least that was my perception walking the show halls and um, you know, and simultaneously was struggling to find women's product on the bike side that fit or on the ski base layer side as well. It was all just kind of made me feel like a sausage encasing. Um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, um, Smith relocated its headquarters from uh, my hometown of Ketchum, Idaho, and I was given an opportunity to either move to Portland or go to give it a go on my own. Um, I ultimately decided to stay in the mountains. Um, and that got me connected with my, um, my founding business partner. Um, and she had been feeling the same thing. She had been at a big bike brand and attending all those industry events. And, um, you know, I was just on a phone call earlier and we were kind of shooting the shit about, um, you know, women's product and how much there needs to be you know, a women forward brand to actually create that women's product because um, historically bike brands in particular have always, you know, struggled to find the value proposition in growing their women's offering. Um, and I believe that's because women, women didn't buy the product because it wasn't good. Um, and so, yeah, there wasn't a lot of money going in the door for women's product. Um, so anyways, long story short, lack of product offering, lack of opportunity to market female athletes and give them the platform that they deserve um, led us to founding Wild Rye. And I kind of wonder too, with it being such a male dominated space, is the women's gear just made off of the men's gear? Because I know having worked in a shop myself, I've picked up a men's jersey and thought, wow, I love this fabric. It's so light. It's just feels really nice to touch. And then I look at the women's equivalent that's like meant to be the like straight comparison to that product. Yeah. And it has just one little strip of that really nice, really light, nice feeling fabric that I liked on the men's jersey. And I'm like, well, 
do I just get a small men's jersey then? Because <laughs> I like the actual like textiles of it better than this women's one, which is not as cooling. It's not like mm -hmm. it, yeah, it might have a nicer fit if they've done it properly, but not necessarily. Yeah, so. I mean, you, you just nailed so much of why we exist. I mean, we found that women's product was adapted from a men's version, shrinked, pink, dumbed down, technical features were removed. Um, and so, I mean, Wild Rye, we feel that women deserve not only contemporary style and great fit, but also the highest performance um, quality that uh, the men are getting, if not better. I mean, our goal is to create better product than the men's product out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd also say a lot of brands are sort of waking up to, you know, uh, women being a very viable market in the cycling space um, and are putting more energy into their women's product, but it's still all derived from a men's product. I mean, everything not, yeah, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth here, but it's still men at the top making these final decisions, cutting product from the women's category, deciding what ultimately comes to market. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even just little things like I would find when I worked at the shop, the guys are pretty good after I'd been there a little while of letting me, they would pick everything that they kind of wanted to bring in. And then they would show me the catalog and say, okay, which ones of these do you like best? Because sometimes I would pick things that fulfilled something that I felt like I needed. But even like, for example, I ride a lot of DH. So I like to, when I'm at the bike park, have a long sleeve jersey. Mm -hmm. It's actually really hard to find long sleeve jerseys. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the men's side, easy. But on the mm -hmm. women's side, they'll make like one. And then the shops don't necessarily bring that in. So I had to be like, well, you know, guys, like I actually would love to have a long sleeve jersey and I would wear this one. Maybe we should do a size run in, in just at least one long sleeve. Mm -hmm. So just having someone that can pick those things out and actually speak to what is it that we would want, whether that's colors or functionality or, or what have you. I mean, even down to the pockets, just oh, the <laughs> yes. pockets. like Don't a well-placed pocket. Pocket. <laughs> well pocket goes so far on a women's product. And, you know, I think <laughs> most brands out there product. haven't figured it out. Also, and that was products. Like, my boyfriend, he has a pair of pants from Troy Lee, and they do like a whole run of pants where they don't even put a pocket at all. Like his, he has one pair of pants that doesn't even have a pocket. Mm, so that that's the first crazy. time I've ever <laughs> seen men's pants with the pocket disparity that women are so used to. Yeah, no The kidding. playing field is leveling. Mm -hmm. They get no pockets, <laughs> none for you, none for Gretchen Wiener. <laughs> Oh my gosh, seriously. I swear we design our products around our pockets. It's like, okay, where do we want the pocket to be? And then let's go from there. <laughs> like I have, um, what bike shorts do I have? They're seven mesh. Mm -hmm. They have one pocket. It is the hardest working pocket of all goddamn time. It's got like my inhaler, my AirPods, my phone, like my, uh, what else? Like a piece of gum in case I need to regulate on the trail a snack and it's just like stacked and it's only on the right side. So I'm like, what about left-handed people? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like you should realistically mm -hmm. have one on each side. Like how expensive is it to put in a pocket? Like, I feel like there just needs to be a little bit more consideration here. Mm -hmm. Luckily it's the same on men's pants. So they also suffer equally with yeah. that. <laughs> As a left-hander, I get that. Although I would say we're, we are somewhat guilty. Uh, we don't have 
full-sided pockets on every garment, but our pants yeah. do. Well, I mean, I think it's like a super small percentage of the world is actually left-handed. So it is like a valid production argument, mm-hmm. I guess, but I feel for them, you know, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. Yep. no yep. pockets crew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I just want to like loop back quickly to what you said about athletes and how, um, like female athletes, females having product that they want that like services their needs is functional, uh, high quality, all that kind of stuff. I also really admire how Wild Rye, um, categorizes what an athlete is because I feel like it's really unique in comparison to all other, uh, Mm like businesses when they're looking at marketing campaigns because the idea of what an athlete is and who it is is shifting which is amazing Mm -hmm. and it's some I would love to like touch on that because I think what you guys are doing is really cool yeah I mean I I remember when we first started Wild Rye I was like I I, well one we don't have budget for like what what the world would consider a professional athlete but two I just think that athletes are so much more than people who only do their sport Um, And so Wild Rice launched our pro team and defined it as professionals at life, women who are super badass in the backcountry on skis, on bikes, um, you know, really great athletes, but they also have careers or they're moms or they they're, you know, people who give back to their communities. And we really wanted to celebrate these athletes as whole people um, and not just celebrate what they do within the sport. And so yeah, I mean, our pro team has been um, really fun to grow and evolve and continue to work towards. Um, you know, we're working on rolling out sort of the next version of it. And um, our goal is while we don't have massive budgets to pay our athletes, um, we are working with our athletes to choose a cause or support race entry fees if they choose to race, um, support a community event that brings people together Um and support financially that way, as opposed to just writing small checks that really don't do a whole lot for, for them as individuals. So, um, yeah, that's, that's our, you know, the (laughs) quick and dirty of our athlete team, but these women are absolutely amazing. And a lot of them have continually come back to us and just said, I feel like this is family. Like I love meeting other wild ride pro teamers. Like, you know, they stay at each other's houses when they're passing through and, no, no, it's just really special. It's like a ton of connection and community, which is really what our brand is all about, is um, cultivating that. For sure. I know that there's like, um, like when we met with you previously, once upon a time, you mentioned that you you like to have people on your uh, your athlete team that are not just athletes, like they're multifaceted. And that's the mm-hmm. reality for so many women in this industry just because it's not an equal playing field with budgets and marketing like yeah we've talked about that so much on this podcast um between renee and i working with brands like both of us are full-time students or we're working full-time and then we have to go and like get all this content and we're doing like filming stuff and it's like it's so overwhelming but it's like choosing um like kind of respecting that it's a, mm-hmm. a multifaceted role and working with the athlete mm-hmm. in that concept so like a lot of your athletes do you, you respect that, which I feel mm-hmm. is something that's neglected in other ambassador programs. Yeah, I would say we encourage it. We don't really even consider that, you know, many people who consider themselves exclusively professional athletes. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I just said this, but nurses, pilots, like marketing professionals, um, you know, you name it, like they're, they're, they're doing really cool things, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, 
um, photographers. And um, I think that it's, it's their work outside of the sport or what they do outside of skiing and biking that makes them such fascinating human beings and frankly, more relatable for most women. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be a professional athlete. Like I'm freaking 40 almost and um, have a child. And if I get on my bike once a week, I'm stoked. And so, you know, these, these women are just, just like the rest of us. They just kind of rose to the top for some reason or another. So. Yeah. I think that's very like humanizing and realistic. Cause like when I said that the, the definition of an athlete is changing, like people, I mean, other than like probably teenage white boys, um, mm -hmm. they don't really look up to like the, the Tanner halls anymore. It's mm -hmm. not like just shredding hard, doing gnarly stuff. It's not like the exclusivity of being an expert or like something that's unreasonable and unattainable. It's like yeah. inspirational humanizing stories that connect people. Yeah. Like that's really yeah. where it's going. I mean, you're speaking my language and I, I, I do believe that we were somewhat on the forefront of that, of like really telling the story of the whole person. And, um, you know, there's so much more of that now. And I think it's really, really great to see that other brands are following along and telling stories and not just looking at people who have the most followers or have won the most contests, but starting to look at human beings who are, you know, working within their communities to create better environments for all of us. Definitely. I would say that like not only leading the forefront on it, but also like um, authentically doing it. Like mm -hmm. you're not seeing it in trend research and then trying to replicate it. It's like, this is mm -hmm. a core value to my business. And this is how <laughs> I, I want to like, yeah. I can't, I can't afford trend research. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no trend research going on. It's, uh, yeah. it's, a, lot, it's a lot of gut. <laughs> like, which makes feels right. <laughs> yeah, which makes it even more authentic. Like I've given recommendations to clients that I've consulted that exact piece about like the humanistic aspect. And here's research on like what's trending. But it's like for them to incorporate that is like profit serving where yours is mm -hmm. like purpose serving, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Wild Rise Dope, everybody. Okay. Also, dumb question. <laughs> where did the name come from? Um, well, that's a funny story within itself. Uh, we actually launched under a totally different name. And um, within a week of launch, received a cease and desist order. So we had one week to change our name before we had to finalize our trims and all of our production materials for our next season. <laughs> so, um, But that's the backstory. We've moved on from that. But it was a fun way to start the business. Um, but yeah, wild rise, a grass that grows native above, um, uh, grows wild above 6,000 feet. So it's enduring. It loves the high Alpine, which is much like all of us. Um, we love to play in the mountains. Um, we're tough, we're durable, um, and we're wild. I really like everything that went into, um, creating the name as like a branding and marketing human. There's like so many metaphors there that tie back into the business. And I love how it's kind of articulated throughout your entire brand concept and personality on the website. So it's cool to learn about where it came from. Yeah. I have to say it's much better than our original name. In my opinion, it feels so much more true. So just goes can to show that things happen for a reason. Can, <laughs> we, ask, can we ask what it was? Yeah, you totally can. I think. I don't think I'll get sued over it. But um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very, I have to preface this, it was a very friendly cease and desist as much as it can be. Um, uh, but Buttermilk, Not in Apparel was our original name. Um, my co-founder um, was from the Tahoe area and she spent her springs in the Eastern Sierra in the Buttermilk Range. And um, it was her favorite mountain range. So 
that's where the name or you know the original name came from but i just feel wild rye is such a better name for us long term and um and we're not you know infringing on anyone else's territory now <laughs> yeah definitely i think uh buttermilk when i first heard it i was like buttermilk and then it like settled with me for a second and i was like i'm kind of into that but mm-hmm. it has a different vibe than wild rye mm-hmm. it's yeah. like i don't know it's almost like it's like wild rye if it was dipped in kind of like a a tangy, more... <laughs> a tangy buttermilk. <laughs> I was gonna say more of like a re- like wild rye is rebellious in a way because uh-huh. it's a disruptor, but more rebellious in like a you know like a pit viper. I don't know. Buttermilk yeah. is just like you expect like a certain level of like debaucherous sass that's what I want to say it just sounds like inappropriate in a way but well I like I don't know that's how it it makes me feel words make me feel things so now you know I think pancakes I don't know if pancakes really give the vibe that you're after but wild rye gives like a a natural outdoors vibe before you really dig in deeper to like where it is and the way that it stands tall in the wind etc Mm-hmm. I also like there's just like two syllables, wild rye. Mm-hmm. It's crunchy. Yep. I, I love our name. So um, yeah, we, I'm glad I'm glad we ended up where we are. <laughs> that's good. Big stick energy approves. Mm-hmm. It's good. Good shit. How yeah. old is Wild Rye? It's a couple of years, hey? Yeah. So we actually originally launched in 2016. Um, in 2000, end of 2018, my really wonderful and amazing co-founding business partner came to me and just was like, I'm not cut out for startup life. I don't have the risk tolerance. Um, I want to go back to teaching. She's actually just about to publish a novel. Um, she's amazing. And we had um, went through a, a co-founder buyout situation. And then I would say 2019 was a sort of a new trajectory of the brand. Um, so depends on what you're defining the beginning as. But um, yeah, either 2016 or 2019. So if you're looking 2019, then you're just picking up and then the world falls apart, Mm -hmm. aka pandemic lifestyles. But are Mm -hmm. you all online or do you also stock in stores? We stock in stores for sure. Um, We're in like every REI store. We're in specialty retailers across the U.S. Um, We just launched with Nordstrom, which is really exciting because it's another way to reach women um, where they're already shopping. we're in Title IX, you name it. Like we're kind of all over the place. That said, we were not in all those places um, prior to the pandemic. So yes, it was an adventure. I, um, you know, the start of the pandemic was uh, kind of wild um, for many reasons, but um, that we all know. But also, I had a two-month-old child and no childcare. Um, as a result of the pandemic, so I was in our office packing REI super complicated routing guide orders with my baby strapped to my chest because I couldn't have anyone come in and help me because no one knew what this pandemic was going to be. And I also had COVID (laughs) in March, 2020. So um, yeah, I I don't know if I'm answering your question there, but (laughs) maybe too much. Yeah. Well, it opens up for a couple different realms we can go into. So we could talk about, I mean, getting through the pandemic because it's obviously grown a lot since then since mm-hmm. that point so you managed to spin it in a positive direction over the last couple of years and two building a business while you have a freaking baby 
is also like very impressive in its own right. So, <laughs> um, either, either or. I mean, I'll take it one way and then the other way if you want. So yeah, maybe we'll talk quick just how things went for the business during the pandemic, any highs, lows, specific challenges. Um, I'll let yeah. you take that where you will. Yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of outdoor brands, it was really, really scary at first. Um, we had a few major purchase orders canceled just because of the uncertainty. And, you know, as a self-funded brand, that's really scary because we just committed to all this inventory and I went into full panic being like, what the heck are we going to do with this? That said, fast forward about three weeks later, people started getting outside. And I just remember going on my first bike ride postpartum and um, getting off the trail and having like all these Shopify notifications. And, you know, um, I like was like, I don't understand what's happening. I didn't send any marketing today. I'm tired. I'm like failing at being a business person. But um, people are getting outside and people wanted to bike and women in particular were getting on bikes for the first time just to um, find new ways to get outside. And, um, you know, and then shortly following one of our new retailers, um, the, the founder of the retailer who, you know, and it's a pretty massive retailer, emailed me an email with the subject line, holy shorts, we've sold more of your shorts in three days and we've sold bike shorts in, you know, entire seasons. Like we're ready for a reorder <laughs> after three days on um, online with them. Um, so yeah, I mean, things really escalated quickly, um, in the right direction. And then we've just been carrying that momentum forward, um, as far as we can. Yeah. I just like from a business nerdiness perspective, mm -hmm. like the fact that one, the, well, there's environmental factors there, like the, uh, the pandemic, like that situational factor influenced consumption patterns in outdoor spaces because people needed something to do that was safe, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. the fact that you're designing a disruptive product that actually services an underservice group's needs and it's effective and then it blew up that well means that you you have a trend there, like you did nail mm -hmm. it, which mm -hmm. is huge, right? So that was just kind of like the perfect storm, even though it was like super hectic, that yeah. very like validates everything that you've put into this. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, I play it off, but it was no shortage of blood, sweat and tears that went into the previous several years of getting to where we were, um, you know, really dialing in the fit, building brand recognition, um, you know, creating a community with very little resources. I mean, we had zero outside funding at that point in time. Um, and yeah, just a lot of hustle, a lot of scrappiness. <laughs> a lot of yep. begging people to give it a try. <laughs> um, and yeah, just a lot of perseverance that got us to the pandemic that allowed us to ride the coattails of um, that outdoor, you know, recreation trend. Um, it for went sure. a really long way. <laughs> uh, has there been a moment for you as the brand grows and you're getting more sales? Like, um, obviously, everyone likes money, but there also is a whole other side to this where the more women that are buying your gear means that there's more more butts on bikes, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you could argue, more, more satisfying than mm -hmm. getting a few dollars in your bank account, because that's ultimately what you set out to do and your mission. Mm -hmm. And has there been any moments where you've been like, shit, we did it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> I've had a lot of moments. I'd say they're quickly interrupted with like, you know, all sorts of other things and getting blows left and right. But um, no, I mean, the first obvious example is just seeing wild rye in the wild on someone that I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know that person. And they're wearing wild rye. I mean, that was that was certainly a huge win in the early days. Um, but since then, I mean, yeah, like getting the trust and support from some pretty high profile, high, you know, reaching retailers that can enable us to get wild rye on more bodies and welcoming them into the sport of mountain biking or um, into winter sports and just the outdoors in general. I mean, it's in our mission statement. We're here to welcome women identifying adventurers into the outdoors and um, through well-fitting, contemporarily styled and, you know, technical product that women actually want to wear. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Another moment I would say is uh, I got an email from Forbes out of the blue a couple of months ago um, to the point where I like showed it to my right hand like woman here at Wild Rye. And I was like, is this spam? This doesn't seem right. Like Forbes doesn't just reach out and want to do a video profile on random women's brand in Idaho. Um, and so I'd say that was another big pinch me moment where I was like, oh my gosh, they're actually coming to Ketchum, Idaho to talk to me and not just talk to me, but to film me. So yeah, I mean, there's countless moments like that. And I just, yeah, <laughs> I just sometimes just don't quite know what to take of it. Shit. Well, congrats on Forbes. That's a huge deal. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Um, this is also a nerdy number and if it's or a nerdy business thing and if it's too like specific or personal I totally understand um but like what is the growth rate over the last little bit like how much yeah. has it picked up for you guys I mean we tripled revenue last year and that's shit. just an easy holy shit yeah <laughs> that's just an easy number to talk about without you know going too deep in the weeds on things but yeah we tripled our revenue last year and that was you know, and we still have very little outside funding. I'm in the middle of fundraising now. And so that's a really nice number to be able to hang our hat on. But um, that was a result of some really scrappy, hardworking human beings just rolling their sleeves up and doing what we could with very few resources. Um, so yeah, I hats off to my whole team because it's a bunch of badass, really smart women. Yeah. Sick. And representation makes such a difference. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but... Um, I read a study a little last summer, I read a study and I have to figure out a better way to link these in for people because people ask me for the sources and I, I have them, but I just don't have a seamless way of sharing these to like the 10 people that DM me saying, <laughs> where did you get that from? And I'm like, I do have it. It's a source. It's an actual academic article. Yeah. But sometimes like trying to DM them to everybody anyway. Um, so in this article, they researched the top five descriptors of women who are learning to mountain bike. So brand new oh. beginners coming into the sport. What were the top five descriptors that they used to describe the sport? And number one, mountain biking is a male dominated sport. Number two, the gear is too expensive. Number three, when I think of mountain biking, I picture men. Number four, people who ride mountain bikes are super athletic. And number five, if I wanted to learn how to mountain bike, I would make it happen, which is basically saying, you know, if I wanted to do this, I could, but right now it just doesn't seem like I, I really want to. Um, but I think those top three actually just speak volumes and that's what you're 
out against and you're trickled your revenue. So obviously you're doing a good job. And um, that's why like I read through that and I'm like, wow, like maybe we are getting somewhere with mm-hmm. everything that's happened in the pandemic. And I wear a shirt that says all butts on bikes and it's literally just mm-hmm. got like 16 butts on it. And I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> but I, I just love seeing more people getting out on bicycles, on skis, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We all deserve to feel that. Yeah. Massive, I mean, you know. it's it's super subjective, but I I mean, seven years ago, I was hard pressed to find a woman to go for a bike ride with on a Tuesday night or whatever. And that's pre, pre any of our friends having kids. Um, nowadays, I have like kick-ass groups of women riding every single night and and we're a pretty small community. So that's saying a lot. Um, there are just so many more women out there. Um, I mean, even my husband has been like, man, there's way more ladies rides going on than there are dudes rides, which, you know, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> I love it so much. Definitely. Again, shows an important like trend and shift in the space. So like mm-hmm. other businesses need to catch up or fuck off. Excuse mm-hmm. my language, but time <laughs> yeah. to shine, baby. <laughs> yeah. Even that group rides thing though, and it lends in the research to a little bit more of um, the research saying that with men mountain biking, they kind of seek out a little bit more of the competition of mm-hmm. riding faster than your buddy. And, and that's what fuels them to get better is to kind of like have more of that one-upmanship way about it versus co-ed rides or all women identifying rides it's like a totally more community aspect Mm -hmm. of it and that's why you don't necessarily see these like men's group rides because it would just be a bunch of guys going (laughs) out there having fucking pissing matches against each other like (laughs) that's what it would look like it's not going to be this like nice Sunday, like, getting out making a new feature that you've no, never done before, you know? <laughs> I also don't think their egos would let them do that. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, oh, I should go on this to, like, meet new friends because, or, like, to work on my skill sets. They're just like, nah, I'm the bomb.com. I'll go ride mm-hmm. with my buds. Like, you know, it's just like, I don't know any men that do that. Do you guys know any men that do that? We have I friends mean, that go on friend, do, like friend groups, but not like yeah. people they don't know, you know? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Definitely no, not at all. Friend groups, groups that know that there are equal writing capabilities, like for sure. I mean, I would just, I just think, I, I like perfect example of how men versus women approach sport um, is when you're signing up for, say, a bike race and you get to choose your category. Like 90% of women choose, like, I'm in it for the beer, I'm in it for the fun, you know, the lower, like, they're sandbagging essentially, but not, um, never saying I'm in it to win. I'm, uh, you know, I'm really good. Whereas all the dudes are in like that. I'm really good category. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a different approach. And, you know, I, I'm not, definitely not here to knock men because there's some, there's so many amazing men out there, but, um, who have been really supportive of countless women and wild rye and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it is just really interesting how that, that, you know, shift in ego or mentality around athletics is so starkly different between men and women. Definitely. I don't know why, but over the last like couple episodes that we've done, I've seen so many like patterns and correlations between different like institutionalized concepts. So like the patriarchy and colonialism are like BFFs, right? Mm -hmm. The patriarchy predominantly 
uh, it's like men, we know it's men. And mm -hmm. part of like a colonial perspective is like conquering the outdoors. It's objective based. It's like having mm -hmm. it like obtaining, like that's very like masculine traits, masculine, like patriarchal, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting that in outdoor spaces that like push to like crush yourself, like not have a good time, get PRs, competitive nature, like objective focus. I do know girls and like women who have that perspective, but never to the degree that men do. And anytime you go out with women, it's completely different to men. Like my partner the last week was like, yeah, I was like top 10 doing this lap at Moose Mountain. And I was like, it's sick. I got top 10. I was like, oh, like, how was it? Like, did you enjoy it? He was like, no. I was like, <laughs> why did why'd you do it then? And he was yeah. like, well, it sucked, but it's like sick that I did it. And I was like, I don't. But I don't follow. Understand. I don't track. If it's like, not fun, why do, why do it? <laughs> I have zero interest in doing that. And then we like got into a fight. Um, one of our first fights where I called him and I was like, I am angry. The anger is coming out. I've been pushing this down for a long time. I don't enjoy doing sports with you and your friends. Like I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like, I'm always like showing up, shutting up and just like suffering. Like it's the mm -hmm. three S's. And I was like, I'm the type of person that wants to stop and have a snack if I need a snack. Like I don't want to have four asthma attacks and cry on the side because I'm trying to keep up or I'm going to pass out because of the heat. It's like, if I see a caterpillar crossing the trail, I'm going to stop and help it. That's the type <laughs> of person that I am. Like, I'm not trying to get a PR on Strava. I'm sorry. And I need some like give here because I can't do it. Mm -hmm. So there's probably a patriarchal aspect of that in colonialism and seeing it differently. Yeah. Like I said, dudes have a competitive mindset around mountain biking. Whereas mm -hmm. with women, it is, and like there absolutely is competition in women. I'm not I'm saying that like, oh yeah. as fuck as a human being. We don't care. I'm like, just saying like general trends identified by legit researchers and not me mm -hmm. just, just saying it because I have feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that women progress better in more community Interest. environments as a general rule. Yeah, I mean, yeah. women women see their peers riding something and they're like, oh, I can do that. If she can do that, I can do that. We ride together. We have fun together. Like, I know she wouldn't encourage me to do something that I really can't do. Whereas, you know, yeah, it's it's such a different mentality and it's so special. I don't know. I just I, love my ladies group rides and adventures. Did you see that Jerry of the Day video recently where it's like a guy, like a boyfriend filming his girlfriend coming down this like super gnarly feature on her mountain bike and he like has it on the ground. You can hear him. You're like, this is such a bad idea. She shouldn't do this. This is such a bad idea. And like, she's like, are you ready, babe? Are you filming? Like, do you think I got that? He's like, yeah, you've got this. And like, she goes and she just like nose dives like over the handlebars and is just like suffering on the ground. And he was just like, like it was, it was just Oops. such a situation that I think all of us have been in with some like male friend is like, you got this. And then you're in the air and you're like, I don't got this. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun to realize you don't got this when you, you've reached the point of no return. I know. Aww. It's like everything goes in slow motion and you're just thinking about all the bad choices you've made mm -hmm. um, leading up to that moment. But like when you ride with girls, like anytime I've rode with Renee, it's like, unless we're both feeling extra spicy, we'll stop and look at a feature, talk about it, and then go off of it. It's just like a safer space for progression, I guess, because mm -hmm. we progress differently, but we've all been in that situation before. Mm -hmm. That's like, not necessarily true. Sometimes you tell me, don't stop. If you roll over it, then just don't even let me look at it. I'll just do better if you just go and I follow <laughs> you. And I was like, so that's not always true. Sometimes we <laughs> stop and look. If it's like actually sketchy, I'll make her look at it. 
But as yeah, long as it but rolled, you were stopping like, at like stop. one foot rollovers. I never rode with you before. Yeah, I know. So that's just a communication of ability. We went mountain biking <laughs> together for the first time since I've been mountain biking more. And Renee was stopping at every single small like rollover feature. Cause like, I was like, I don't know how to communicate what I can do. I've never been yeah. in this area before. And then like, I was too close behind her and I would have to slam on the brakes and I'd like go over the handlebars, like over the feature every time. It happened like three times. And then I was like, just stop stopping, just go. That's so funny. Anyway, yeah. Riding with a woman is great. You just stop and look at everything. Yeah. I'd say that's very respectful. And I don't think you'd get that from most guys as they figure out your riding ability though. So yeah, I mean, that's to true. be fair, then you, you figure out what people can, can't do early on in the ride. And then later you can be like oh yeah you got this because i saw mm -hmm. you do that other thing mm -hmm. to be fair my partner is pretty good like when i've gone riding with like his guy friends and like their partners it's like um they've all gotten into like screaming matches where it's like this could be the end of the relationship because the guy was like you've got this without really communicating like what was going to happen and then they like don't talk for the rest of the day it's like a full domestic dispute in the middle of the forest so my partner's pretty good with that but my autistic ass also needs to know everything that's going to happen so we have to go through the trail beforehand <laughs> so that checks out but yeah there's a uh, definitely room for some like you know meeting needs better in there um, I actually, that was like a huge tangent that we went on, but I wanted to loop back to like having a kid and doing what you do. Um, I don't think, I mean, with everything that's happening in the States around like abortion laws and like women, like female autonomy, like women having the option to pursue a career and raise a child is like a historical biased just thing that that's a problem right and mm -hmm. it's like i know that in your notes about the episode before we jumped into it feeling like an imposter like you can't show up for your kid right you can't show up for your business right like how do you kind of process that and deal with that running a business oh i go to therapy that's for sure therapy's um, sick <laughs> we love therapy <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been really challenging, like, uh, especially as the world started to open back up um, because there's travel involved. Um, you know, the early days are really hard because I had a premature baby and a business that was, you know, sort of navigating this new wave of the pandemic and trying to figure that out. Um, but I mean, in general, it's it's hard. I mean, I've been woken up in the middle of the night every night for the last two weeks because we finally took the side of the crib off my kid's bed. So he pops up to my bedroom and is like, hi, mom. Hi, mom. You want to kiss my foxy? I'm like, no, not really. I just want to go back to bed. Can you please put your ass back in bed? Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. My thoughts are so all over the place with this. Um, it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. And, you know, learning how to navigate a new relationship with my husband, too, because we used to have all this freedom and I wouldn't have to tell him if I needed to work late, I'd just work late or, you know, planning personal time just is so much harder with a kid. Um, you know, I'm usually working after I put him back to bed at night. I try to go home at five, five thirty, six the latest, but um, to be there for bedtime and dinner. Um, but I'm oftentimes back online afterwards and I would say more than anything, my personal life has suffered <laughs> my fitness, my, you know, 
my own friendships um, have have certainly done some suffering. Um, but you know, I don't know. I just I, I just think it's so important for the world to acknowledge that you know women working with children is a lot, a lot, a lot. And, um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I have a husband who does the bulk of the cleaning and does the laundry and does a ton of stuff at home. But if I didn't, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how he would not be living in a total rat's nest because that certainly takes the biggest hit for me at home. So it's, uh, it's, work and playtime with my kid first and foremost. And then house chores, hell no. I hate them anyways. <laughs> you don't have to have that insta-perfect. I do not have household that insta-perfect life. <laughs> it looks like a hurricane went through it all the time. <laughs> Preach, same, yeah. oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I don't think people really understand what that's like also just like existing as as somebody who is like a you know an underrepresented marginalized group and having a, a job or like starting a business in a male-dominated industry as well that would be really difficult like yeah. i mean yeah i mean i think i had the advantage of um working in the broy industry for a long time i understand how to play that game and like yeah. navigate my way through um Broland, and I have a lot of you know great mentors who are men and who have supported me through it. But yeah, it's not easy, and you know I'm the first person that's not going to show up for a trade show because I have a kid and I have to navigate. Like, okay, like I, I don't see many men having to decide between like, am I going to upset my wife and go to this trade show, or am I not going to go? Um, you know, and yeah, it it. I saw that at Smith all the time too. Um, you know, the, the guys, like, it was never a question. Like we just go to all these things and, uh, home life is home life. And it's not really, you know, yeah, they want to be there with their kids, but, um, it's not, not as much of a negotiation and, you know, and it's been a big learning, learning curve in my own relationship too. Cause I mean, my husband's a teacher and works really hard as well. Um, but, uh, you know, he's had to learn how to support me in totally different ways as Wild Rise continue to grow. And we have a kid. Um, so, yeah, it hasn't, yeah. Always, hasn't always been rainbows and butterflies. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Preach. I like, you know, like talking about how there's less, there's not enough women in these high positions and how it is a bro land. Like from your experience, because you've been working in this space for so long and now Wild Rise taking off, like, to get other women into male dominated positions, whether it's like working in a ski shop or mm -hmm. moving into some of those higher ups, what are some of your tips to navigate bro land and take up space unapologetically while playing the game? Cause it's a mm -hmm. freaking game. Mm -hmm. If you yeah, have those, like, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, which I don't, I'm not very good at following my own advice here, but um, pick and choose your battles. I mean, it's hard to be, uh, you know, like, I like to be outspoken about every little thing, but I think if you're going to coexist and, and move up the ladder, you, I think it's really important for everyone, men and women alike, to pick and choose their battles. I think women have more battles to, to start and fight, but um, 
you know, I think picking and choosing your battles and really, you know, understanding what's most important to you and what you most need. Um, I'm not saying to sacrifice or sell yourself short by any means, but um, it's a hard, hard to coexist for eight hours a day, five days a week with someone who's challenging you, everything you say and everything you do. Um, and so I'd say that's one thing of just like making it more comfortable for everyone and just gentle education. Like, like I hate cancel culture and call out culture. Like, I think that, you know, there's a, you know, sure there's a time and place for it, like fucking Trump, but, um, sorry, <laughs> but, um, but I think in general, like our industry is really well intentioned, um, for the most part. And so, you know, finding gentler ways to have hard conversations um, with colleagues and other industry professionals is really important because um, I think the majority of people do mean well. Um, at least I like to believe that. And um, so, yeah, I think just figuring out like how to have conversations on opposing viewpoints and um, yeah. And then God, I don't know what else. Um, for me, it was just play the game, <laughs> gain respect, get people to understand that I work hard and I'm smart and um, I'm going to show up time and time again, even if you're a dickhead, um, because I'm here to do my job and I work, want to, you know, ultimately we want the same end goal. We want our business to do well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm an older generation too. So as I said, I'm almost forty, like six months away. Yikes! Uh, and I think there's a really big generation generational difference between my generation and, um, you know, the generation that's up and coming, or has up and come. <laughs> yeah, that that generation that's up and coming though is definitely still fighting an uphill battle. Like everything mm. that you talked about that you've had oh, to put yeah. in to like do what you're doing. I think that speaks to you know, privilege of dudes that should just show up in the space and like thrive. It's yeah. like, they don't have to play the game. They don't have to learn how to have tough conversations. They don't have to have like resilience or like validate their worth, credibility or skill sets mm -hmm. more than what they're doing to show that they can do something. And like that shows that like even in all of that, and like I've had to do that. Renee's had to do that. Um, yeah, totally. Working in the industry, like, and that's the, the reality of so many women working in this mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. And I, th I think that's just still really important for everyone, not just women, but like everyone to, you know, at times just put your head down and forge ahead. Yeah. And um, that's not exclusive to like, well, like the, that impact is not exclusive just to women either. Like uh, BIPOC people have to do that yeah. as well. So to like trans people, everything, it's like they have to validate yeah. their worth beyond what people assume they're yeah you know, their worth is based on different facets of their identity that they can see. Um, I really I love that you, I'm oh, sorry, go sorry. Ahead. No, no, sorry, go, go ahead. Nope, nope, I, this is awkward, you go. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be, but I think in order to succeed in today's world, these are tips to succeed and climb up the ladder and elevate yourself into the positions where you can make really make an impact on line. Yes, definitely. I um I was going to say that I really love that you touched on cancel culture and people have good intentions. One thing that's helped me not be angry at people is recognizing through like a sociological lens that nobody is inherently hateful. 
They are not bad. It's something that they have been taught along the way from living in a society and in a system that has institutions to teach them to think that way. So it's like an environmental factor, right? So it's like inherently at their core, it might be a bias or like a reaction to a situation that is programmed Hmm. from stuff they've learned in their environment. And it's not reflective of who they are. A lot of people don't even realize they react in that way or that there are other options, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this could be a really cool segue into um, like cancel culture and businesses Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of times people just react without thinking about the full scope of it. And yeah. 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 Dive into it. (laughs) Yeah. Cancel culture. I hate it. Um, I don't know exactly what direction my brain is going to take this, but, um, you know, as as a small business, like the cancel culture has been really painful and really anxiety inducing for me, um, you know, and my team and as a team of people who really are trying to fight for the right things and do the right thing every time, um, you know, but as human beings, you know, like any business is a team of human beings behind the scene. And there are plenty of human mistakes that are well-intentioned, but still human mistakes. And, and, you know, I think, you know, blatant hatred and cancel culture is one thing, but, um, you know, I just, I, I don't know if it's just, you know, my insecurities as a business leader, but I feel that a lot of small and well-intentioned brands get hit the hardest with culture, culture, cancel culture. Um, and you know, maybe it's because, People that expect more out of a brand are the community that that we've cultivated. Um, But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I would just, I love it. I love it when someone just reaches out in a very pleasant way and is like, hey, I noticed this. I'd love to like understand your intention behind this or, you know, understand like why you've made this business decision, um, you know, and creating a conversation or an opportunity for learning rather than immediately putting the humans behind the brand in the defensive position. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm speaking from the place of a brand and a group of people who are very, you know, well in intentioned in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'm not saying every business is like that, but generally speaking, like, you know, smaller brands in our industry are very, I don't know. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> and cancel cancel culture or speaking out on, on this or that, like it can be so exhausting to make a stand on something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I've learned sometimes the hard way of when it is a good time to make a stand and when it might not be. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it right, just like take it so personally of like, oh man, like people are going to think I'm a bad human. If you just like put the one wrong word in something, then you just take mm-hmm. it personally. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I guess what I've learned throughout just actually like being more up, outspoken is that for the most part, those big brands, you're never going to get to someone who can actually give you a thoughtful response most of the time because you've just got Brad or Susan who's so far down the ladder that's answering their info emails or on their social media that never sees your DM ever. But with a small business, the chances of actually getting a human on the other side of your email or your DM is so much higher. 
mm-hmm. the likelihood of having someone actually explain to you and and be able to say, well, actually, like this is where our name comes from, and and this yeah. is how we've thought about how it could affect different people, and these are things that we're doing to mitigate that, and and things that we're passionate about, and places that we feel passionate about donating to X Y Z. It's the smaller businesses that can reply to you with that, whereas the big business probably just has a template that mm-hmm. gets sent out, even if you are lucky enough to get a response at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> that's probably why I feel it more than, uh, yeah. you know, not that we've had a lot of it, but when it when it comes through, it hits really hard and it and it is a source of like very real human anxiety and, you know, panic spiraling. So, um, yeah, I would just encourage everyone to just treat small businesses as though they're you're talking to a single human being, because oftentimes you are. Sometimes it's difficult just to exist, you know, Uh businesses and people alike, both sides Mm -hmm. of the spectrum. Very much so. Uh, On that note, where can people find that? Where can people (sighs) find Wild Rye? You asked where we can find Wild Rye. Do you really want me to tell you where you can find Wild Rye? www.wildrye.com. There, set it for you. (laughs) That's probably your website. Yeah, do it right. It's wild. It's wild dash rye. The the URL was already purchased when we had to change our name. Definitely. And I think um, like checking out your Instagram as well, wild underscore rye underscore. underscore. <laughs> yep. um, and we we will also include a link to your, is your Forbes interview? It's out, right? I think I saw it on Instagram. Yeah, we can include a link it's to out. that as cool. well. So if people want to follow up and learn more about what you're doing and all that jazz. Awesome. 